Hello, everyone. It's lovely to be with you this morning. I greet you from a warm and sunny Bundaberg, wherever you are, whether you are in Bundaberg, around the corner, if you are part of the regular congregation, if you are worshiping from somewhere around the world, if you're watching this in a, a different time zone, that's fine. Or maybe you're listening to the podcasts on either SoundCloud or, or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this, welcome to you. It's wonderful to be together and knowing that we are connected by God's Holy Spirit and that He will minister to us through His Word today. A special word of welcome if this is the first time that you are joining with us. It's good to have you. And uh, feel free to catch up on the other videos. They're on our YouTube channel or on any of the other pages I've mentioned, our Facebook live feed as well. You can catch them up and uh, be part of the, the rest of the series of um, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Please take a moment to put a comment in. Let us know where you're watching from. Uh, send us a reaction button through the sermon. You can do that at any stage through the sermon if you... Uh, as the, uh, the sermon goes on, if there's something that interests you or that you like, click on the reaction button or make a comment, and we'll get to those, if not immediately, then uh, a little bit later on in the week. <coughs> Unless you were living under a rock, you would, uh, you would know that this morning uh, Joe Biden was declared the president-elect of the United States. It was good to see that the democratic processes have, have held, and uh, we pray for him and for his team as they begin to lead the U.S. And through a, a time of, uh, of healing and, uh, and through the next four years. We do pray for America, particularly for a peaceful transition of power, and, uh, and trust that uh, that, that whatever hatred and, and, and upset there is can be dealt with. Friends, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Take a moment to greet those around you to pass uh, God's blessing onto them. I'm just going to fix something up with my microphone here. Hopefully that makes it a little bit better. Let us pray. Almighty God, wherever we are in whatever moment, we lift our voices to you, our hearts and our spirits, and we thank you, Lord, that you connect with us at this very second. We thank you, Lord, that your, your spirit engages with us, interacts with us, and that we can, we can feel your presence amongst us. We thank you, Lord, that by faith we know that our relationship with you is secure, that you love us and cherish us. By faith, we can have, have confidence in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, in the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. By faith, Lord God, we rejoice in a confidence that knows that you are God above all things, that nothing is greater than you, that no uh, no sin is above the forgiving power of the cross of Jesus Christ. No moment goes unchecked. No emotion goes unnoticed for you. Because you have promised to be with us all the time. You're a God who is omnipotent, all-powerful. 
amazing and everlasting. And for these things we praise you. We rejoice in the wonder of being in relationship with you. And pray, Lord God, that you would sensitize us as we continue to seek to be faithful and grow in that faithfulness as your people who seek to build your kingdom in this community. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the grace and mercy that flows from Calvary, for the certainty of forgiveness that was a done deal 2,000 years ago, for the wonder of knowing, Lord God, that there is no sin that is unforgiven. For you reach into our lives, you offer us forgiveness, you wash us clean, you bring us to a place of connectedness with you where no barriers can separate us. And Lord God, in return and thanksgiving for, for all of that freedom you give to us, we offer you ourselves to live and to work and to be part of serving you in this world so that more people may know your love and more may know the beauty of living in your kingdom. Bless us in the service, we pray. May the words that are spoken speak into our hearts. And as we journey through another part of Paul's letter to the Philippians, may you make it relevant to us, we pray. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, a couple of uh, notices for you, just to mention that Common Grounds is happening in the mornings, on Tuesday mornings, half past eight at James's place, across the road from Hinkler Center. It's a lovely opportunity to meet together, to have fellowship, to chat a little bit more in depth about the sermon, and uh, we'd love for you to come along uh, to that. Plus, you get uh, some great coffee and, uh, and lovely breakfasts as well. Then, to mention our service uh, at Baldwin Swamp Nature Reserve on the 22nd of November, we'll be having another one of our services uh, outside, and it'll be great to have as many of you as there is possible. It's wonderful when we connect together. Being outside means there's uh, no restriction for us in terms of numbers. And um, so bring a chair, uh, bring some morning tea, and we'd love to see you then. 22nd of November. And then just to mention that next week I'm away at uh, our live-in presbytery. And Reverend Ray Nutley will be preaching and taking us through the next stage in the letter to the Philippians. So Ray will be continuing with the sermon series and uh, taking us through the next part of Philippians. Today's part comes from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 3, verse 11. Philippians 2, verse 19 to chapter 3, verse 11. It links two passages, one where Timothy talks about Timothy, uh, where Timothy, where Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, 
and another where he speaks about confidence in the flesh. This is what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone who looks out for their own interests, not those interests of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see, th sorry, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he has heard, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Moving on to chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Part of our worship each week is to dedicate our offering to God. Throughout the week, people have put uh, their offerings directly into the church's bank account through internet banking or direct debiting. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your faithfulness in that. And if you'd like to be part of that, then the bank details are on the screen, they're on the webpage, and they're in the comments underneath this uh, Facebook feed. 
Thank you also to those who have faithfully brought their offerings in each week into the office. Uh, that option is still available. The office is open uh, from Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 1.30. And if you'd like to drop in your offerings that way, you're welcome to do that. And thank you to those who have faithfully done so. Let us bring our offerings and our intercessory prayers before God. Lord God, the gifts of money that we give are a demonstration of our love for you. They're a way in which we can express our thanks and offer to you, Lord, something which we pray will bless you and which you may use through the power of your Holy Spirit to be a blessing to others. So take our gifts together with the gift of ourselves and use both to build the work of your church here in Bundaberg. We bring before you our prayers of intercession. We pray, Lord, for the situation in the world, world politics having undergone a, another major shift. We pray for the USA and for the peaceful transition of power. We pray, Lord God, for situations of unrest. We pray for the families of loved ones who have been killed in Ethiopia over this past week. We pray, Lord, for peace in places where there's turmoil, for calm in places where there's violence, for leadership to stand up and lead, and to govern fairly. We pray for places where COVID is beginning to once again surge in second and third waves. And ask, Lord God, that you would give to those leaders wisdom. That you would protect people. And that you would guide those working on vaccines. We pray, Lord, for our, our own community, our own country. For those who have lost jobs and are struggling financially. For those, Lord, who are ill. Those who are bereaved. We pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort them. We pray for ourselves. For each of us, Lord, there are needs that we have, people that we worry about, situations that we may feel powerless to do anything in. But we can pray. And so we lift them to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things, asking that as the sermon is preached, Lord, you may speak into each of our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would take what is said and use it, Lord, to be something relevant for each of us. That when we hear it, we hear your voice and we know that you are speaking, ministering in a way that makes sense to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Overconfidence and arrogance is something that is a terrible and ugly thing. Paul sometimes gets accused of it quite often, particularly looking at passages like we have today. But I think, you know, having been through a couple of election cycles now and the, the issue of overconfidence and arrogance 
Uh, we've seen the, the ugliness of that just recently. I recently uh, saw it in a little bit more of an amusing way when uh, someone sent me video clips of, uh, of people celebrating victory prematurely, before they actually had the victory, before they had actually won and how they got pipped just at the end. There was a cyclist who was, who was coasting towards the finish line. He, had, uh, he was so certain of his victory, his arms were up in the air, his hands were off the handlebars, waving to the crowds, thinking that they were cheering him on. But in reality, they were cheering the guy behind him who was coming at an incredible speed and sprinted across the line just in front of him, winning the race by about five centimeters. Or the rugby player who was celebrating his try while still running towards the line and overconfident in his, his uh, achievement that he was going to have when all of a sudden a tackle came out of nowhere and uh, the ball went flying and no try was scores. There were a whole lot of them. But perhaps the funniest example of, of overconfidence comes from a preschool teacher who just thought that by the end of the year, she knew the students so well. Oh, she was almost arrogant in her thinking about how well she knew the students, how well she knew the families, how well she knew what they, would, would, uh, what they were like and what they would like to give her for an end-of-year present. And so when the time came for the kids to hand her their Christmas presents, she just thought that she would show off a little bit. The first child, whose parents she knew owned a bakery, gave her a gift in a box. And she took it and she shook it and she held it overhead and she said to the child, I bet I know what's in this box. The child said, what, miss? And she said, it's donuts. And the boy said, that's right, that's right, but how did you know? How did you know? Oh, just a, just a wild guess, she said with an air of confidence and, and arrogance. And then the next learner was, was uh, the, uh, the daughter of the, of the lolly shop owner in the town. And the teacher got her gift, and she looked at it, and she shook it, and she said to the little girl, I bet you I can guess what this is. And the little girl said, what? She said, it's a box of chocolates. She said, that's right, but how did you know? Asked the little girl, and she said, oh, it's just another really good guess, she said overconfidently. The next gift was from the son of the uh, bottle shop owner. And the teacher took the package overhead, and she saw that it was actually leaking. So she touched a drop and licked her finger. Is it wine, she said. No, the little boy replied with some excitement. The teacher thought, oh, she got a little bit more on her finger and licked it off, and she said, uh, is it champagne? No, the boy said with more excitement, and the teacher took one more big lick of this uh, leaking fluid before she uh, confidently declared, I know it must be some sort of cider. With great joy, the boy said, no, miss, it's a puppy. <laughs> when you read the passage from Paul, when you look at what he said to the Philippians, it's very easy to think that Paul is being arrogant and overconfident. He brags about his achievements. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Je Benjamin. I've circumcised on the eighth day. If anyone can boast about these things, I can boast in them. Listing all of his credentials, letting everybody know the history and the pedigree. But far from being arrogant and overconfident, Paul is writing this letter 
for a special purpose, which is namely to enable us to move from a place of insecurity and to enable the Philippians first and by, by association us as we read this letter, to move from a place of insecurity, a place of wondering if, we, if we're good enough for, for God or if we've done enough to be worthy of His love, from a place of, of worry about whether we have obeyed all the rules correctly. He writes this letter so we can move from that place of insecurity and uncertainty to a place of confidence, to a place of, of, of belief and security in the love of God. He addresses these issues here for the Philippian church and writes to them not to be overconfident or arrogant, but instead to have complete confidence in God, in His love, in His plan, in His purpose, and most especially in His saving grace. You see, at the time Paul wrote this, as you may have gathered, there was some stuff going on back in the church in Philippi. There was a group of people who would go to the churches that Paul started, and they would try to do their best to undermine his teaching. They would insist that even though Jesus was the way, all of the old customs, all of the Jewish laws, all of the things like circumcision still had to be obeyed in order for you to be accepted by God. So much like the old Jewish faith, with all of its restrictive and binding laws, they just simply allowed Jesus to be thrown into the mix somewhere. They would sow these seeds of doubt into these new Christians that, that their faith was not enough. And so Paul writes this letter to give confidence in the Word of God, in the person of Jesus. He writes this letter to give confidence in the, in the beauty of the undeserved grace we are so freely given and in the, in the wonder of salvation that is by faith alone. Paul's letter to the Philippians is a letter of confidence. We've seen it in the previous weeks that it's been a letter of encouragement, a letter of purpose, and a letter of instruction. And today... We see it as a letter of confidence, a letter that enables us without arrogance to be certain of faith and confident that God's hand is at work actively in our lives. Now, in case you're wondering, I haven't just forgotten about the first part of the scripture that talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. I will come back to them at the end of the sermon, and you'll see why when we get there. But I want to focus first on two areas where Paul says we can have this confidence, where indeed we must have this confidence. And the first is this. We need to have confidence in faith and not in the flesh. Confidence in faith and not in things of the flesh. As I said, Paul writing this letter, he was quite literally, uh, there was a need to express that there is no confidence in the flesh there was no confidence, uh, there was confidence in Christ because of our faith and our belief in Him and not because of what we do with our flesh. It was literal for Paul because circumcision was being hailed as some as the essential sign of commitment for the Gentiles. It's all well and good for them to accept Jesus, they would say, but to really be Christians, you must come over to the Jewish way. You must follow the Jewish customs. You must be circumcised, and then you will be acceptable to God. Then you will be people of faith. This Jesus person was, was good and essential, said the opponents of Paul, 
But at the end of the day, you still have to do what we say and follow the customs and the rules like everybody else, the systems of the flesh that we put out there for you. And Paul's response is, no, you don't. No, you do not. He responds by saying that he has more of a reason than anyone else to be confident and being in sync with God because of things of the flesh, because of outward signs and correctedness in terms of the practices of humankind. He says, I meet all of your criteria, born in the right tribe, doing the right things, following the right customs, studying the right theology courses. But all of those things don't mean anything. Because it is through faith, it is through the grace of God that we find our hope and our confidence and our salvation. Not in anything that we can do. Verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If we don't take confidence in our faith seriously, this same attitude of the flesh is something that can sneak into our relationship with God almost without us even realizing it. Think about it for a second. Think about some of the clashes in Christianity. In the Christian faith, there are, there are big arguments on the go. Ways that you should be baptized or shouldn't be baptized or, or how baptism takes place or what it means. Different ways in which we understand Holy Communion, where, where churches take communion differently in different places and, and, uh, and sometimes you're not even allowed to have communion in some churches. Other churches who have separated and broken away because people worship differently. We see continually the sense of judgment on others if they hold different views to us or see things in different ways or hold slightly different beliefs on how Christianity should be worked out in modern society. Christians today seem to take certain standpoints on issues and there are churches who will say, well, unless you believe this or do this or demonstrate this in your faith in this way, unless you vote this way even, unless you believe what I believe, unless you adopt and stick to our beliefs and practices, unless you fit in with the regulations and the rules, then you're not quite Christian enough. And some places will even say you're not welcome here. And when you get down to it, that's just another way of saying it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you know, now that you do, circumcision is really the most important thing. Otherwise, you're not really uh, fully immersed or fully committed in faith. Paul says, you be confident in your faith. It's not in the external things of the flesh. You be confident in your faith, not in the rules or the customs or the, or, or, or the sacredly held practices. These are not the things that are the most important. The most important thing is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you have a faith? Do you believe in the depth of your heart? Are you in a relationship with God? 
Have you found that sense of, of freedom in the forgiveness that Christ offers from Calvary? Have you received his grace? Do you know that you are loved? Are you aware that the cross was just for you? That Jesus would have done that just for you. Because if that is in your heart, then frankly, everything else is insignificant compared to the belief and the knowledge and the certainty that Christ came for you, that Christ loves you, that Christ is working with you, and that Christ's Holy Spirit fills you. That is what we believe. That is what we hold on to. Jesus is working in each of our lives. He is leading, guiding, correcting, and we believe because we have confidence in faith. We believe because we have confidence in what we know to be true from Scripture. We don't believe because of what we have done or what we are doing or what we hold on to. We have confidence because we have faith in the living, resurrected Christ who died that we might live, who gives to us His Word and the Scripture that we may follow. That's where Paul's confidence comes from. It's from knowing that he is forgiving. It's from knowing that he, <clears throat> that, <clears throat> sorry, it's from knowing that he's forgiven and knowing that God sees him as righteous in Christ. Having a righteousness not of my own, he says. Secondly, we have confidence in the knowledge of Christ and not in the things we acquire. Confidence in the knowledge of Christ and not in the things that we acquire. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. These are some of the most important verses in this whole letter to the Philippians. Our confidence comes from knowing Christ. And it's interesting that Paul says that everything else is rubbish in comparison. In actual fact, to be perfectly honest with you, he doesn't use the word rubbish. The, the word that he used actually means excrement or, or probably better translated, sewage. How's that for emphasis? Paul's confidence comes from knowing Christ and growing in that knowledge, gaining Christ, as he puts it, everything else including everything you can buy or have or own, is sewage in comparison. How different is that from today's society, where confidence is so often placed in the things of the world, in the money that you have, in the, the possessions that you own, in the cars that you drive, in the place in your, in your workplace that you, that you occupy, the achievements that you've done. The world is very clear 
that confidence comes from those sorts of things, or confidence should come from those sort of things. A quick look at the multi-billion dollar advertising market would, would bear that out without even, without even blinking. But the confidence in the knowledge of Christ does not mean that we aim to know more about Christ. It means that we aim to personally know Christ. Not about him, not learning about him, but to actually know him. It means that the resurrection is not just something that happened to Jesus, but something that happens for each of us as we experience the death of a life lived to self. A death of a life lived to, lived to the, the pandering of what the world says is important. And the resurrection to life with Jesus. We do it every time we take communion. We eat the body and the blood so that we may symbolize the fact that we die to self and are raised to this new life with Christ, a life with a new focus, a life with a new sense of passion, a life where we identify with Him in His sufferings so that we may identify with Him in His glory. Not a life where we identify in the glorious things now and hope that that will continue in heaven afterwards. To die to selfish ambitions, to die to, to, uh, to the desires that the world says is where you find your confidence. And to be raised with life in Christ is what Paul is saying in this letter. That's where the confidence comes from. Confidence not in the things of the flesh and the things that you do. And confidence not in the things that you own. The possessions that you have but confidence in faith and confidence in knowledge. Faith in what Jesus has done and knowledge of who God is in my life. And then lastly, having confidence in the working of God's Spirit. The story of Timothy and Epaphroditus is, is actually a really beautiful one. It illustrates a little bit about how Paul's confidence in Christ allows him to see God working not only in him, but also in others. When the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison, their hearts were moved, and so they sent him a gift that was carried by Epaphroditus. What they couldn't do in person, they wanted to do over distance through uh, Epaphroditus being willing to serve. And so Epaphroditus was not only the bearer of this gift, but he was actually going to stay in Rome and tend to Paul's needs, to serve Paul, to, to make sure that he was okay. And this was a pretty brave thing to do because uh, not only was it a sacrifice of his own uh, life, but it might well have ended up being the end of his life because there was every chance that he could get caught up in the capital charges that, that were hanging over Paul as well. When Epaphroditus was there in Rome with Paul, he fell ill and, uh, and nearly died. And word of his death reached, uh, of his near death, sorry, reached the uh, church in Philippi, and they were worried about him. And he was worried that they were worried. Remember, this is not in the day and age where you could pick up a telephone and call them and let them know you were okay. It didn't happen like that. And so Paul decides to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi carrying probably this very letter with him as he goes. 
But the problem was that the church had sent him to be with Paul. And there would be every possibility, every chance that as he returned back, he would be labeled a quitter or somebody who wasn't willing to go the distance. So that's why in the middle of this letter to the Philippians, you have this almost beautiful testimonial about Epaphroditus and Timothy and the wonderful way in which God is using them to minister to Paul. So Paul enables Epaphroditus to go home, but not without recognizing that God has done in Epaphroditus' life something amazing. And he takes a moment to look at, at, at what God has done in his own life through Epaphroditus. It's interesting to see Paul's reaction of their time together. And it's amazing to see how much of their spiritual growth and strength came from being together in times of trial and encouraging each other and seeing God at work in one another's lives. And so Paul is effectively saying to us, he's telling us in this moment, that you can have confidence in God's Spirit being at work in you because he has seen his Spirit at work in both of them and in others. And as he does that, and as we hear those words, we find encouragement and strength and an even greater confidence in being able to look at those around us, in being able to, to, to journey with those closest to us and see God's Spirit in them and know God's Spirit is working in us. It's a beautiful thing when you see God's Spirit working out in the lives of someone else. It's an encouragement. It's a joy. I came across a lovely story. I'll end with this story this morning about a Presbyterian minister who, who sees God's Spirit working in a sales lady uh, in a department store called Nordstrom uh, in the United States. I'll read it as it's written in the book. Uh, the narrator says, A friend of mine who is an associate pastor of a large Presbyterian church in California once told me how she loved to go to Nordstrom department store in Bel Air during the Christmas season. She couldn't afford to buy much at that store, but she enjoyed going there at Christmas time just to take in the ambience. The Christmas decorations were always magnificent, and there was live music on several floors. On one of her visits, my friend was at the top floor of the store, looking at some of the finest dresses in the world. When the elevator doors opened, and out stepped a bag lady. Her clothes were dirty, and her stockings were rolled down to her ankles. She just stood there holding a gym bag in her right hand. It was obvious that this woman was out of place and not about to buy anything. The dresses were in the $1,000 price range, and this bag lady did not seem like the kind of person who would have that kind of money. My friend expected a security guard to promptly arrive and usher the bag lady out of the store, but instead of security guards, a stately saleswoman came over to her and asked, May I help you, madam? The bag lady said, Yeah, I want to buy a dress. Well, what kind of dress? The saleswoman asked in a polite and dignified manner. A party dress, the bag lady answered. Well, you've come to the right place, said the saleswoman. Follow me, I think I have some of the finest party dresses in the world. The saleswoman then spent more than 10 minutes matching dresses with the woman's skin color and eye color, trying to help her ascertain which dress would go best with her complexion. After selecting three dresses that the saleswoman deemed to be the most appropriate for the bag lady, she bade the woman to follow her into the dressing room. My friend, the associate pastor in the church, 
hurried into the adjoining dressing room and put her ear up to the wall. She wanted to hear all of this because it was quite remarkable. The bag lady uh, tried on the dresses with the saleswoman's help. But then after about 10 minutes, the bag lady said sternly, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to buy a dress today. That's okay, the saleswoman said gently. But here's my card, and should you come back to Nordstrom Department Store, I do hope you will ask for me. I will consider it a privilege to serve you again. She ends the story by saying that she had every confidence that she had just seen Jesus at work in Nordstrom, and how in turn that inspired and energized her faith. Seeing the Holy Spirit work through someone to bring dignity and wholeness and care to someone else. This letter to the Philippians, in addition to being encouragement and purpose and instruction, it is a letter of confidence for you and me as Christians. Confidence in the faith that we have. Confidence in the belief and in the knowledge that, that Christ has died for us. Not confident in, in, in the, the things of the flesh, in the, in the various rituals and rites that we have. Those aren't the most important things. Confidence in the faith. In the certainty of Jesus and not the rules of religion. And then there's confidence in the knowledge of Christ. Not in what we own or possess or what we can acquire. Confidence in the knowledge that, that, that Christ is all we need. That we die to, the, to the, the desires and whims of the world. And are risen to serve with Him. And then confidence in the working of God's Spirit. Both in ourselves and in others. And when we see that. How wonderful and encouraging it is for each of us. Those are three elements of confidence that Paul says to the Philippian church. These are yours. It is not arrogant. It is not overconfident. But Christ has said, be confident in this. Confident in faith. Confident in the knowledge of Christ. And confident in the working of God's Spirit. And I pray that as we journey through this letter, we may be confident in those things in our lives. For as we do so and move into the world, that sense of confidence impacts greatly on the witness we give. May God bless us and may you know that confident, confidence in your life. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for what you have done on the cross. For the strength of faith that you give us. That we can have confidence in, in believing that what you've done is for each of us. Confidence, Lord, in the knowledge that our lives are lived for you and, and not for ourselves or for what the world says is important. And confidence, Lord, in that your spirit continues to work in us and in others. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with that sense of confidence today and throughout this week. Fill us with that confidence and open our eyes to see your Spirit working in, in the hearts and lives of other people. For we find that encouraging. It blesses us and strengthens our faith. And so, Lord, may our lives reflect your glory as we confidently go and serve you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Friends, thank you. It's been lovely to be with you this morning. Uh, I look forward to sharing you with, with you again in Baldwin Swamp. Hopefully for, for many of you, that'll be in person. As I say, bring your own chair, bring some morning tea, and uh, bring a joyful heart and attitude because it's an absolutely fantastic time. If there's anything like last time, it's, uh, it's really great. Ray will be looking after you uh, next week, and thank you, Ray, for your willingness to serve and to, and to preach next week. Really do appreciate that, and uh, we will see you then. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.